you turn with me, please, to the passage that we read together, Luke chapter 13, and uh, we might begin our reading at verse 23. Then said unto, uh, one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. And he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God and the last there. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. You might wonder at the um, uh, appropriateness of uh, a passage of God's word like this um, in a congregation where so many of the hearers um, are professing members um, of Jesus Christ. And yet the context itself makes it clear that these words were spoken uh, to one who was a follower of Jesus and also in the application of those words at the end of the, uh, the passage we see that he speaks of those who profess to have known him and have been with him and walked with him and communed with him. And so it is appropriate for us in that respect, if for no other reason, that we are not to be complacent as those who profess uh, faith in Christ. And also we are not to um, uh, be complacent uh, simply because we are in the atmosphere or in the context of gospel preaching. Well, let us look then at uh, how this whole incident arose, what brought about this response from Jesus. And it's found in verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them. So there is the context. It is a question a question about getting to heaven and a question about how many are saved. Um, and uh, that question itself, we see, is uh, full of speculation. It may have been uh, a question that arose because of curiosity on the part of the uh, questioner. Uh, it may be that the numbers who were the close disciples of Christ seem so few. And in the context of the uh, preaching of the kingdom of God, it might have seemed most peculiar that so few uh, were following Jesus. Indeed, we know that at the end, when 
uh, after his death, there were 120 in the upper room, which seemed such a small congregation for three years of ministry by the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, there were, of course, no doubt more, but those uh, were the, uh, as it were, the visible church in uh, that time. And so it may be that the question arose because of that kind of speculation. But one of the things that you will notice is that the question uh, was impersonal. Um, it is asking generally about how many are going to be saved, um, uh, who is getting into the kingdom. And uh, it is an important question in one uh, respect, inasmuch as there are some who think that everyone is going to heaven. That is a popular view, um, uh, sadly, even amongst those who should know better uh, and who are preaching uh, today. Uh, is everybody getting to heaven? Many think that getting to heaven is an easy thing. The gospel, of course, is free. Grace is free. But that doesn't mean uh, being saved or getting to heaven is an easy thing. There are those who uh, think that they can delay, especially the young who might think, well, I'm too young yet to get caught up in this whole business of uh, following Christ, of being a Christian, of uh, putting my trust in the Lord. I wait until I'm older. And yet there are many who could testify to having waited and waited and waited, and the time of commitment to Christ just simply never comes. And so it's an important question in that respect that it is not to be put off, it is not to be delayed, the whole issue of our being in Christ is for now. Now, we are told, is the day of salvation. Now um, is the time, uh, the day of the Lord. And so uh, this uh, general, vague, speculative, impersonal question um, uh, is not uncommon. And many are like that. Many are curious about the gospel. There are many who sit under the gospel, who know the gospel, who know the teaching of Jesus. They are uh, these kind of people that are always coming up with hard questions and difficult questions and apparently contradictory issues that are found in the gospel. They are ready to discuss uh, doctrine. They will have a view um, uh, on who can and who cannot be saved. But it's all vague. It's all impersonal. And so we look for Jesus' reply to this kind of question. And you'll notice that it is not a direct question. He doesn't say to us, oh, there's going to be 144,000 saved, or there's going to be um, a multitude which no man can number uh, going to be saved. He doesn't speak like that. He doesn't respond directly to the question, are there few that be saved? Rather, he comes at it indirectly. You remember how Jesus deals with the question um, uh, of the woman of Samaria. Lord, where is this water? Give me this water. 
And you might think that Jesus would immediately move on and speak about um, him being the Messiah. But he doesn't. He says, go and call your husband. You see, there's business to be transacted between Christ and this woman before ever she hears the good news, the grace of God. She needs to be brought to a point where she's no longer dealing with speculative living water, but she's dealing with Christ. And that's how it is here. Again, you think of Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night. He asks um, uh, about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus again doesn't reply directly. He says, except ye be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he comes at the issue indirectly. So it is here. Because the problem with this questioner is indirectness and unpersonal, uh, uh, impersonal um, application. And this questioner needs to frame the question differently, as it were, in his own life. He wants us to ask, are we among the uh, those who are saved, whether the number be few or many? That's the real issue. It's not about are there few that be saved. It's are we among that number, whether that number be few or many. You see, that's what the question's about. It's not how many will get to heaven, but will you get to heaven? Will I get to heaven? It's not a question about, even in his application, about those who, um, uh, uh, what those who are doing um, uh, uh, are getting to heaven. What are they doing to get to heaven? But am I doing what is necessary to get to heaven? Are you doing what is necessary to get to heaven? You think of our gathering here today. We come. I hope it's not just because that's what we do on a Sabbath morning. I hope we're here for the right reason, but the question we've got to ask ourselves in the light of the words of Jesus, am I striving to get to heaven? You know, it's one of the things that you discover as you grow older. There's a tendency to complacency. You settle down. In some respects, things get easier, but not with this question. And we have to ask ourselves, in the light of Christ's words, am I striving to get to heaven? What am I doing to ensure that I get to heaven, whether the number be few or many? And Jesus makes it absolutely clear. You've got to strive. You've got to strive. Men and women don't get into the kingdom of God floating in a comfortable pillow. You've got to strive. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. That's what Jesus says. He likens the uh, kingdom of heaven or the entrance into the kingdom of heaven like a straight gate. Now, for the young here, a straight gate is just a narrow gate. It's a, it's a wee tiny gate. 
And Jesus is saying, you've got to squeeze through that little gate if you want to get to heaven. <coughs> Jesus says, strive. And that's the absolute opposite of indifference. There are some who sit under the gospel and they're not really bothered about whether they get to heaven or not. Maybe they've been brought up. Maybe coming to church is a habit. Maybe it's nothing more than that. And Jesus says, you've not to be careless. You've not to be indifferent. You've not to rest on a false comfort. My father or my mother was a good person, therefore I'm going to get to heaven. That is a false comfort. If I do good as much as I can in the world, I'll get to heaven. That's a lie. That's false comfort. I believe all the things that the Bible says about Jesus. So do the devils. That's false comfort. You are called to strive. And that word strive comes from the Greek word to agonize. That's where we get the word agonize from. And when you're agonizing over something, you're not taking it easy. You're not just floating along. You're not just uh, careless and indifferent. It's a big issue. When you're agonizing over things, it's a big issue might be your health you're agonizing over. It might be your, your finances you're agonizing over. It might be family problems you're agonizing over. But it's a big issue. It's not something to be taken lightly. And that is how it is here. Jesus is saying entering the kingdom of heaven um, uh, is something that involves the exertion um, uh, of effort, concentrated effort. It's a struggle, forcing your way into the kingdom. Now, that might sound altogether different from the free offer of the gospel, but it's not. It's a matter about being earnest. That's the focus of this. It's earnestness in getting into heaven. It's taking the matter seriously. Why do we have to strive? Isn't the gospel free? Yes. Isn't God's grace manifold in the gospel? Yes. So why do we have to strive? Well, you can say um, the answer to that is because Jesus says you have to strive. That would be the easy answer, the simple answer. But why do we have to strive? Because the gate is narrow. The gate is narrow. It is easily missed. And therefore it has to be diligently sought after. In the days when they used to um, uh, have their fortifications like castles, um, uh, often there was what was called a postern gate. Because when you're locked up in a castle, somebody sometimes has to get out and in. Maybe a spy has to get in to tell you about what's happening in the enemy camp. Um, it might be a message has to be sent to an ally to get reinforcements. So there was often a little gate 
it often was in the form of an overlapping wall so that when you looked at it, you didn't see the entrance, you didn't see the door. It was hidden, it was secret. And if you were trying to find that door, you had to search diligently. You had to know it might be behind a bush. It was not easy to find. And so that's the way with the gospel. You see, many can be deluded into thinking that they are all right because they, well, they've looked for the gate and they've not found it. They've sat under the gospel, they've heard the gospel, but they've not come to Jesus. But they're in the right place. And you may take comfort in that, but that's not enough, dear friends. You've got to strive to enter in at the straight gate. But remember what I said, this is a narrow gate, so that we have to strive not only because it's easily missed, Easy to sit under the gospel and yet not come to Christ. But also, if you even find it, if you come to an understanding um, of um, uh, how you must be saved, you can still not get in. You think of this gate. It's difficult to get through even when you find it. A wee gate on the door of a, a, a castle wall would have to be difficult to get through because you don't want hordes of the enemy coming in. If ever any of you have been to a football match, you know what the turnstile's like. I remember many, many years ago, um, if you were visiting the Edinburgh Zoo, you could park at the uh, the hotel behind and come through a little turnstile in the wall of the zoo. But only one person could get through at a time. If you came with your family, your mum had to go through, then your dad and then you and, the, and your brother or sister, whoever. It was one at a time. You couldn't all just squeeze into the turnstile. It was one at a time. It was individual. You can't rely upon what your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband. You can't rely on what they are to Christ. Entering into the straight gate involves you as an individual person. And once you get in, Jesus tells us elsewhere, where do you go? You come in the narrow gate onto the narrow way. He tells us few find that narrow way. It's difficult. When you get through the gate, it's difficult. Being a Christian is not an easy thing. It is a life lived in dependence upon the grace of God from beginning to end. And so Jesus says you've got to strive. And it's not easy to strive. It's not easy at the best of times, even in ordinary human things, to strive. If you've got troubles, sometimes it's easier to try and bury your head in the sand, pretend they don't exist. If it means upset and confrontation, 
Sometimes we back off because we don't want to have to strive. It's easier not to strive. That's why Jesus says, strive. Because the temptation that we have is because it's easier not to strive. From a spiritual point of view, entering in at the straight gate involves leaving behind all the baggage of the world that we carry. All our loves, all our desires, all those things that are worldly, sinful. It means coming in through the turnstile, not with big suitcases tucked under your arms. They have to be left behind. The world has to be forsaken. And Jesus tells us that elsewhere. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny the worldly world. Let him deny and put behind him all the things that hinder his progress towards heaven. And then it's not easy because it's not popular. If you strive to enter in at the straight gate, folks won't like you for it. You're not going to win friends and influence people by seeking to become a Christian. Jesus speaks of the narrow gate leading to a narrow way. He speaks elsewhere of a broad way that you enter in through a broad gate. And that's the imagery we have here. It is an individual coming into a narrow, in a narrow gate onto a narrow way that is in the opposite direction to the broad way. There will be many people going in the way opposed to you. Many people who love the world, want the world, will not forsake the world. And so you're following a way that means you're going to have to stand out. And you have to go into, you're going to have to trust Christ. And so Jesus' reply says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Well, dear friends, if it's so difficult to enter in at the straight gate, why bother? Why bother? If we're content with our comfortable, broad way life, why bother? If we're settled in our own minds that, well, we haven't quite found Jesus, but we're religious and we're in the right religion and we're in the right place hearing the gospel, why bother? Surely it'll all pan out in the end. Well, let's answer that question. If it's so difficult, why bother? Because heaven is worth the bother. Heaven is worth the bother. You see, we are made by God to be with God. And we will never be satisfied and right until we are with God. There is no joy without God. 
If you want true happiness in your life, you will not find it. Even although you will be able to say, we have heard you preach, we have seen your miracles, we have listened to your word. If you do not enter in through the straight gate, you will have no joy. Why bother? Because it's worth it. Because if you strive to enter in at the straight gate, and the straight gate, just to clarify issues, is none other than Jesus Christ. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Coming to Jesus Christ and casting yourself upon him for your salvation is the way to joy and happiness and heaven and God. So why bother? Because it's worth it. Why bother? Because the door will not always be open. The door will not always be open. We are told um, uh, uh, that the time will come when the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door and ye began, begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Why bother? Because at the moment, under the sound of the gospel, within the field of God's grace, that door is open. That gate is open. But it will not always be so. It's open just now, despite its narrowness, to admit the chiefest of sinners. It's one of the wonderful things about this gate. It might be narrow, but God's grace is not. The chiefest of sinners can enter in through that gate. Indeed, according to Paul, the chiefest of sinners has already entered in through that gate. This is a day of gospel privilege. This is a day not to be dealt with with indifference and carelessness and resting upon false hopes. This is a day of the Spirit striving with your spirit. And the Spirit will not always strive with you. And the day will come when the gate of God's grace is closed. You might not be aware of it. You have put off coming to Christ for so long. You have made so many excuses. Dear friends, is this to be a day when that gate is closed in your face? Strive, therefore, to enter in at the straight gate. Because when that gate is closed, there is only one other gate open. And it's the broad way that leads to destruction. I mentioned that little turnstile gate at the Edinburgh Zoo. Well, you know, what happened was that it was only open until something like half past four in the afternoon. And then it was closed. And then everybody had to go out the big wide gate. What an illustration that is of a reality, a spiritual reality. A day will come 
when there is simply no other way but the way of the broad gate and the broad way that leads to destruction. The day of God's grace will expire and the patience of God's will will give um, a place to his wrath. The broad way that leads to destruction. Why bother? Because the gate is open in the gospel preaching now. But it won't always be open. Why bother? Because when the narrow gate is closed, many will seek it without success. Many will come and begin to knock at the door. You know, it's interesting. They've found where the door is. And they're knocking at that door, but it's closed. And what are they doing? They're trying to get in. You'll notice that they will seek to enter. They're not striving. They're urged on because of the uh, precariousness of their plight. And they are seeking to get in. They'll want to get in. They'll claim acquaintance with God. They'll say we knew all about Jesus. They'll say we heard so many gospel sermons. They'll say my mother or my father or whoever. They were good and godly people. I was baptized. They will claim that they went out of their way to hear him. Some will be able to say, we ate the multiplied loaves and fishes. We saw the miracles. But what will Jesus' response be? Depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. For all their privilege, for all their exposure to the gospel and the truth, they never knew Christ. They denied the Christ, and therefore he on that great day denies them. Why bother? Because when the door is shut, it's too late. When the door is shut, it's too late. There's no room for repentance. There's no more entrance into heaven. If you're not a Christian today... Must you learn by experience what I'm saying? Is that going to be the case that you will stand at that door and he and say, I heard, I heard the minister say that I had to strive to enter in and I didn't. And we're told something of the fate of those who are locked out. It is a fate of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is nothing pleasant in hell. There is nothing pleasant about being shut out from the presence of God forever and ever. There's no limbo. 
There's no sort of semi-comfortable halfway house. You are either saved or lost. Through the gate or barred by the gate. Trusting in Christ or not trusting in Christ. What, it's, what is it to be? So you see the significance of this question as it's turned upon the questioner. Are there few there be, that be saved? That's not the issue, friend. Will you be amongst the saved, whether that number be few or be many? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we bless thee and thank thee for thy word. Oh, what a solemn thing it is. As we ponder that question, will I be amongst the few that be saved or the many that be saved? Lord, we pray that thou would have mercy upon us. And as the word has gone forth, as Christ has been set before us as the gate into heaven, May we respond seriously. May we think deeply about our own condition. And may we turn and seek the living God through Jesus Christ. All our hope and all our confidence is in thy Son. Enable us so to trust him that on that day we will be among those who are saved. For Jesus' sake we ask this. Amen. 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 Let us conclude singing a few verses from Psalm 34. Uh, Psalm 34, we'll sing verses 1 to 7. God will I bless all times, his praise my mouth shall still express. My soul shall boast in God, the meek shall hear with joyfulness. Extol the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, he heard, and did me from all fears deliver. To the end of verse 7. What <clears throat> will I bless all times is
us stand for the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.